Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Ken Marks. We're going to talk about 1961 Post Serial, which was uh, a landmark issue. But first, thanks sponsors, Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, as well as Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Ken Marks, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about your collecting background and why you love Post and Jello and, and especially 61 Post Serial Baseball Cards. Jim, thank you, and thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. I'm 70 years old, and when these cards came out in 1961, that's kind of right in, if you're a kid, your collecting days. And these were from cereals that my family and we got and collected them that way, besides the tops, which were more normal back then. As a result, I've always had a, a fondness for all the post cereal and the jellos. And later on, once I got back into collecting, I went for both tops and the post particularly because I remembered collecting them as a kid. From that point on, which was roughly around 1980, I've gone full board for post, jello, and backed away from tops. And yeah, that's really my history. My history. Who was at the grocery shopper in your childhood home? Did you give some assistance to your mom or dad, or who was doing the shopping and de de uh, deciding which box was going to be purchased? I think back then it was probably more my dad, because as I remember, my mom really didn't drive at that point. As a youth, I remember my dad teaching her how to drive, but she really didn't drive. So it was my dad I can remember going to the stores with. And so I'd probably give him credit, and he was a uh, a basketball coach and big into sports and a college athlete. So I suspect he had some interest in getting his kids involved in cards and stuff like that. And you said you had uh, three brothers or. Yeah, we had a family of seven, a sister and uh, myself and three brothers. And we're all in the same age group. A quick story. In 1961, we're out in California, Sacramento, San Francisco Giants were our team. And Willie Mays, of course, was most people's favorite player out here. He was on the sugar crisp box, which was a nice sugary cereal. It was on the large side, so it was the economy buy, and uh, we'd have to fight over that Willie Mays. But luckily, he was on a popular cereal, at least in our family, so we would probably all got a Mays card. So your dad was buying multiples. I don't know if it was multiples. That the three or four months where the promotion went on, and that was a popular cereal in the family, so it probably wasn't really tough for with five kids eating cereal to go through plenty of boxes. But what did you all do? Did you cut them up? Were there six cards on the back? So what did you do with the others besides the maze? Were they also ran? Oh, did you all collect? Yeah, we, we had other baseball cards, certainly, too, from Tops, and that's the primary one. And we would cut them off the box, and I believe that there were seven cards on the large Sugar Crisp box. So you ended up with maze and six other of the same players. But, uh, yeah, they just went into your collection. Sometimes you may have uh, done a little throwing them against the wall and whatnot. I didn't flip my 61 post. The flipping was all tops, uh, up against leaners and up against the wall. But did you all ever send off for the team sheets uh, as being Giants fans? Because it, it wasn't very expensive. Did you ever do that? No, I, I don't believe we did. At least I have no recollection of it. But it would have been <laughs> certainly a good deal. It would have been a great deal, but I, I just don't know. And again, we're comparing and contrasting in 61 post, just even the definition of what a complete set is. Since the company issued sheet uh, perforated cards are noticeably different to a trained eye than the ones on the boxes. Do you consider the complete set to be 357 cards or 200? Yeah, what I would say is that a basic set has 200 cards in it. And if you are interested in a master set, which would be one card off of every product, so that would include every card off every panel, 
plus the 160 mailing carts, and I believe that number is 349. There was one panel that gets counted a lot, but it doesn't look like that was ever produced by post. Okay. Okay, and so are you still working on it, or are you complete at this point? Or are you doing upgrades? I have a master set, and I have all the mail-in sheets in their form, so they're not separated. And so I think if you're a post-serial collector, you're always in a state of some sort of collection because there's so much you can collect. And, for example, I have a number, but I certainly don't have them all of the box fronts. And the box fronts each contain a, a card. Also, one of four players, Maze, I think Dick Grove, Yogi Berra, and Eddie Matthews. So you can go for front, the front panels. You could go for complete of the back panels, which has all the cards. You know, just It's a complete sheet. You can go for advertising. You can go for a number of things in terms of being a collector, depending upon how deep you want to go. So uh, personally, I'm not done, and I would suspect most folks aren't done if they're big time into this. Are you uh, particular on the condition? Because there's so many miscuts when I, when I was collecting my master set, which I've now since sold off. But when I had a master set, the conditions ranged, and I don't even know what mint would be, but excellent. I probably collected excellent. Yeah, for, for me, probably like you, I've done this for a long time. So you're in an upgrading stage. So you just want the nicest one you can find. But if I don't have a card, I don't care what condition it's in. I get it to fill the hole. And then I'll work on upgrading later. So conditions important, I guess, but it's not critical. And, and I certainly don't, although a lot of people do get them graded. And that's pretty tough with PSA and some of the other grading organizations. One of the reasons I was looking forward to visiting with you on this can is that maybe we're dinosaurs. <laughs> this is a throwback <laughs> because in the old days of the hobby, basically people weren't as concerned with condition. They'd rather have the card, especially if they needed it. If something was quite common, they might not buy something that was in fair condition because they would know they could eventually get it. But if, if it was a tough card, and it, even if it was in fair condition, you're, you're thinking, I haven't seen this for a year. Are, are we like-minded on that? Because that's the way I was when I was collecting. I wanted to get the card, and then I'd worry about upgrading later. Absolutely. I to- totally agree, and that's, that's why I would always try to fill a hole first. And, and even, you know, with these 1961s, if you're like in my family, <laughs> you were the one cutting these things off the box. Because we certainly were as kids, and you may not have been so good with the scissors back then. Yeah, try finding left-handed scissors. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) They they have them now, but I was left-handed. But I don't think, when I put together my set, of all those post-serial sets, I just don't know which ones were mine from when I was a kid. I suspect not very many. I know I had a lot more Topps cards than I did Post. And uh, even though the Post-serial cards, I think there were millions and millions produced. I think millions and millions got thrown away. They're not tough. The tough cards are still tough. But what was the toughest card for you in 61 uh, post? I, I think the hardest card, and, and you even see it today in terms of the prices it realizes, is a guy named Chuck Stobbs. Oh. And there were just a few cards that you couldn't get off the cereal boxes back then. Not that we knew it as kids, but they just didn't put them on cereal boxes. They were only on the mail-in sheets. And Stobbs played for Minnesota, probably not an overly popular team that had a lot of sheets ordered. And so he's a rarity. He's by far the card that will cost you most if you don't have him. Yeah. When I was thinking back about this, I thought there originally were 16 teams in baseball. And if you had 10 per team, that'd be 160. And that's actually not how you get your mail-in sheets. Because actually, there were 
more than 10 cards per team. Uh, in fact, I think that the largest number of players per team is the Yankees in 61 post as even though they were they may have been the best team in baseball in 1960, they were not the world champions. The second most players in 61 post, I think, goes to the Pirates, uh, who were the world champions, but maybe the powers that be, they led off with all the American League teams, and then they finished with the National League teams. But yeah, the Yankees were the big draw in those days, I think. And, and absolutely. And you can see that in the company cards that are available. There's just It's just easier to get a Yankee than it is certain other teams. I totally agree. <laughs> so what did you do as a kid when you had an extra Willie Mays in your neighborhood? Were, were you trading post or were you just collecting them? What options were available to you? Because we're about the same age. You, you had to be about 10 years old or so. I, I guess back then, I think we were predominantly tops baseball card collectors just because you had more of those. There weren't that many these came on a variety of cereals and if your family only ate one or two different flavors and sizes you didn't end up with that many different cards so you had a much wider variety of players in tops and i think that's at least in my neighborhood that's what was traded tops probably wouldn't trade a willie mays but uh, you might trade somebody else (laughs) you trade tops for tops but i I still think and again it's completely upside down nowadays you would want to trade for something that was perceived to be more scarce, more rare. But in in my 10-year-old, 11-year-old days, it just it's not that it looked weird. It just was different. And you were going to trade tops for tops. And if somebody, and I've done this in another episode, is if somebody came up with FLIR, all-time greats, which were coming out at the same time, those were all retired players, old photos. Those you would trade like for. And then, heaven forbid, somebody shows up with FLIR basketball cards in 61. And now you would go back in your time machine and gather up all the 61, 62 FLIR basketball cards, but they weren't considered, they, they just weren't in the mainstream. And same with the 61 post and all the post serial cards. Yeah, I don't even remember the basketball cards when I was a kid being available. I do. I do and that, I'm just, I'm not going to, we're about the same age. I'm not going to beat myself up too much about it, but that's one of my mistakes in my life is not holding on to those because I had them. But again, they weren't in esteem by your buddies, you, you, the guys that in the neighborhood. They weren't saying, what are, you, what are you doing with those? You know, Tops cards were a challenge because with the issuing them in series, you were always scraping up your nickels to go down to get ready when the next series came out. And the serial cards were a completely different deal. That was in my family, my mom encouraging her to buy Post instead of Kellogg's or Wheaties or something. I was the oldest, but I was one of five. So I, I had one vote, I think. <laughs> so I, I definitely didn't have a complete set. And I was just wondering, how could a kid get 200 cards and get a complete set? And now we realize you couldn't even get a complete set because not all the cards were issued in that way. Yeah, absolutely true. It keeps them going back and flipping over the a lot of the grocery stores now. What they're selling is not Grocery stores don't sell cereal. They sell shelf space <laughs> to the cereal makers. Mm. And the companies come in and sometimes they arrange their own product. But can you imagine that with Post and Jell-O that the, the cereal rep comes into the grocery store and all the cereals are upside down and backwards because somebody has been checking them out? <laughs> yeah. That happened. Yeah. I just wish I would have a better memory of going to the store back in those days just to to see what was involved because I, I don't, it's too long ago. I remember going to the store and finding a box and it probably was Roberto Clemente or something, but, but, and I remember taking the box and putting it 
at the very back. I, I removed some boxes and put this way back in the back. And then I tried to get to the, the other part of the store and find my mom. To I don't know why I just didn't put the cereal box under my arm and <laughs> drop it in her car. For whatever reason, I hit it and said, hey, mom, I, I can we buy? And she said, we already got plenty. So I promised to eat the cereal. And I don't think any cereal was wasted in my home growing up. I, I think I had cereal every day, but I would have had Wheaties. I think Wheaties was my favorite cereal, not Post. And I certainly do the, the, the what are the, yeah, it's just cereal. That was in the day, that was the golden age of cereal, where cereals were the primary advertisers on um, Saturday morning cartoons and things, I think. Yeah, uh, they all advertised on uh, uh, stuff like that. Totally, absolutely agree. <laughs> you know, and, and these are fairly major efforts, too, back then on the cereal boxes. 200 cards is a lot for baseball. And for football, it was bigger than the regular top sets, 200 cards. Well, so they, they were big efforts. <laughs> you know, a lot of the food issues that came out before and after were much smaller. There'd be 33 cards or 20 cards or something like that. But, but this was a major issue, and hence that's why it, it caught my fancy as well as yours. So thanks, Ken, for taking a walk down memory lane, 61 post really kicked off the alternative cereal brigade that came out. It was followed up later with uh, Kellogg's that came out with a slightly different distribution method, but a lot of fun collecting those 61 posts. Like I said, as a complete set guy, the challenge of having these obscure players on obscure boxes was terrific. It, it made it a challenge, and it brought back into the public eye guys like Mel Roach and Chuck Estrada and Roy <laughs> McMillan and Guys like that, that you just otherwise they they just would be in the also ran pile. No, Bob Shaw actually Bob Shaw had had a, had a couple of good years. Anyway, thanks Ken, uh, appreciate your time, and thanks listeners, thanks sponsors. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man-